0: Ready to start your ESG journey? Get going today with social Suite, and you could start reporting publicly in 30 days. With investor pressure mounting and regulations just around the corner, there's never been a better time to start your ESG reporting. SocialSuite takes the complexity out of environmental, social, and governance reporting. Social Suite helps organizations to measure, monitor, and report on their progress with fast, simple, and affordable software. Create value through ESG in order to raise capital, improve brand and reputation, as well as mitigate risk. Social Suite has helped almost 100 micro to small cap companies report on ESG, with some starting their baseline report in under 60 minutes and reporting publicly within 30 days. ESG is a lot easier than you think, and you're probably already doing it. So take your sustainability reporting to the next level with measurable progress. Start your ESG journey today with Social Suite, an ESG software company for micro to small caps. Visit SocialSuiteHQ.com. That's Social SocialSuiteHQ.com to learn more. My guest on the show today is Darren Traustell, chairman and CEO of Now Vertical Group. It's a publicly traded company. The symbol is N-O-W on the TSX Venture. Now is a vertical intelligence VI software and solutions company growing organically and through acquisition. Now's VI solutions are organized by industry vertical and are built upon a foundational set of data technologies that fuse, secure, and mobilize data in a transformative and compliant way. The Now Product Suite enables the creation of high-value VI solutions that are predictive in nature and drive automation specific to each high-value industry vertical. Periodically, I crowdsource what companies you'd like to hear me interview on here, and now Vertical came up a few times, and they also are a constituent in the Planet Microcap Index this quarter. With all that said, I invited Darren on the show to discuss now Vertical's acquisition strategy and criteria, vertical intelligence, what this means, and suite of software and solutions available to their target customer base as well as who their target customer base is, and the path to profitability, and balancing that goal with growing at the pace that they foresee. With that, please enjoy my conversation with Darren Traustel, chairman and CEO of Now Vertical Group. Darren, thank you for joining me today. How are you doing, man? I'm doing well, and thanks for having me. It's great to have you on. So the, uh, you know now vertical has been on my radar a little bit I think uh, it was either last quarter or the quarter before where uh, you qualified to be in the planet Micro Cap index uh, I've had a you know I always try and crowdsource to see who you know I should potentially have on the show now vertical was uh, recommended by a few folks so uh, I'm going to do my best to uh, make them happy and give them the full picture here um so again thanks again for doing this and and to start us off you know it's my first question I ask everybody on here um what would you say is that one line that best describes now vertical? Uh,
1: we are building the vertical intelligent future, um, helping our customers have the confidence to make bold data back decisions.
0: Very good. All right. That gives us a lot to uh, to dig into here. So give us a little history. You know, when did the company start? What was the original thesis? You know, t- take me back to where you got started and how you got to where you're at today. So, I was involved with the
1: company in 2017 timeframe called Signifier, which I thought was a super cool company. Um, Their product um, that they were very successful kind of out of the gates was a, a data fusion platform, which in English means they took data from their customers, whether it be structured data. So, you know spreadsheets, emails, basic structured data forms, and they fused it with unstructured data, audio, video, scan, documents, so that their customers could have their data in one unified data model so that they can, they can view, analyze, um, work with the data in one place, which is super important if you're doing any kind of meaningful analytics. And they were successful. I really like the pedigree of the company, ex-military, long, long story short. It was a great technical company, great technical team. Um, some, you know, some things left to be desired on the business. There was problems with the company in terms of its direction, future on the business. I saw an opportunity, worked with the board, bought the company. And in a private setting, it was, okay, now we have the software company. What are we going to do? And, and, and this, the idea was Spark that in this industry, in big data, there hasn't been a scale competitor created um, to the names like Palantir, C3.ai, Alteryx in the markets, especially in the public markets. And the way to do it, in our opinion, was to build a consolidation model. Can we roll up big data companies very quickly, very efficiently to build the next large scale competitor? And, and, And that was the vision. We started it. We took it public. In early 21, it, it started trading um, July of 21, and in that time frame, we added a couple more acquisitions. Um, and up to today, there's been nine total acquisitions. There's three more in LOI that we're uh, wrapping up. We're going to stay acquisitive um, for the foreseeable future, um, but it also has an organic element to the story now that we can we can talk about as well.
0: Absolutely. Well, first on on the strategy itself, you know, I mean, uh, were you seeing an opportunity where there's a lot of these companies that were now, quote unquote, I don't want to say available for sale, but you saw that there was kind of a like, okay, we're seeing the big picture. We have our core technology. You know, are there any other quality big data companies out there that might be selling at a discount or maybe family run businesses that are just looking to kind of, you know, make, get an exit. And now we have this core technology, you know, what was the strategy there?
1: It's a mature, it's big data is actually a very mature market. Um, You know, there's been many, many um, software products, many, many experts, data science experts, data analytics, analytics experts that have been in the market for, for years. So there's, there is thousands and thousands of companies globally. that um, that are doing different things. What we saw as the opportunity for the impetus of the strategy and the roll-up was there are so many subscale companies, and this is a general issue in software. There's just so many subscale software companies that aren't going to make it, um, make it in terms of becoming, you know, big on their own. And 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 you know, we're seeing now the, you know, we're seeing now in the markets what happens when you get on the, you know, venture capital, multi-round, mainline. You know, it's it doesn't always end well and the valuation thresholds and ladders need to keep going. And, and, and that ultimately creates a dilutive situation for founders where it's frankly not worth it. So there's a lot of smart people in our industry. We're a very, very advanced industry in terms of uh, pedigree. It's not discretionary tech. It's very mission critical technology and service. So that, that was the foundation of it. We saw that with our first acquisition Signifier. We we just saw how important the product and the tooling is in the market and the subscale aspect, meaning they're not going to be able to get over a revenue threshold on their own. So we, those those are kind of like, you know, when you're putting the building blocks together, the perfect pieces or the
0: perfect storm for for a good roll-up strategy. Absolutely. So, you know, let, let's talk about what's currently in the portfolio right now, and then we'll get into that criteria a little bit more, as well as, you know, the, the companies itself. So tell us about the portfolio itself. So the portfolio
1: now is nine companies um, with two distinct elements of our our business. One, which is where we started, which is software. So our software platform today covers everything from data governance, security, um, mobilization with Fusion, and our kind of we have a couple different analytics products slash data science products. That's the basically the the software portfolio today has our customers end to end you know, making their data available, compliant, secure, and being able to use it. And we have a, you know, we have a long way to go to keep adding to that, you know, tooling. And we're going to continue to do that because it's also a vertically specialized industry. So, you know, automotive versus government versus oil and gas is completely different um, needs. And then the other side of our company is a very powerful global service offering. So when I mentioned, the vertical specialty, you need experts to implement the software and operate the software or train our customers to operate the software. There is no one size fits all in our industry. There are many companies that present it that way, but it doesn't work. Any kind of meaningful large enterprise sale in our industry has to have an element of managed services. So we've been buying both types of companies. We buy a software product, but we'll also buy um, a regionalized or, or a global expert service group that will come in and, and provide that level of service, but also we get the customer portfolio out of it too. So now there's over 200 customers doing advanced work in their industry. And we, the idea is we have our software products sold in through our service groups as well to accelerate the, the sale. That's the, that's the model.
0: Got it. And what was your criteria for for the nine acquisitions? Did you kind of go in and like, all right, here we go. Like, let's uh, let's take a look around and see what's going on, or did you come in with a, already a disciplined approach? Is like, okay, this is what we need to hone in on.
1: Going over to the kind of corporate business, you know, investor side. Um, you know, we 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 do the more have... fun side. Come yeah. on, man. You know, yeah, we 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 have a very defined uh, profile. On software, it's a little little more difficult. Most of these subscale software companies are losing money or they're break-even. Um, they have explosive growth or they have moderate growth um, is what we've seen. The criteria for us is if they're not profitable, we can make them profitable. We have a unique model in software, how we we operate our software businesses. We we actually try to reduce human overhead in our software businesses, which is, you know, obviously the opposite of how software businesses are run and how they've been running, right? And, you know, now you're seeing, you, now you're seeing uh, nothing prescient from me, but you're seeing what's happening in the market where, you know, 13% of a company can get wiped out in one day today, you know, with, with uh, Meta. You know, for us, we want that done day one. We want that done. We buy a company. We already know the playbook. And what we've been able to do we have a great case study in our in one of our acquisitions, which is a Finio. We a cool company. They had venture capital backed. We bought it. It was a it was a it was an accretive deal in the in the deal context, but it was a you know typical software company. They had some moderate growth, so we saw opportunities to grow revenue, but they they didn't have a profitable profile ever in their history, and we we set out on a mission to to completely. Um, transform their cost base. And we did. And people from the founding team, you know, it keeps not going to work. We've, you know, thought about this. We've done this. And you just rip the bandaid off. And now we have this thing north of 30% EBITDA margins, um, you know, on a standalone basis. And it's growing. That was the funniest part. We got it. We, we increased its growth with less. So criteria for us software is, that's very specific. Criteria on our services business—it's very, very simple. Services businesses, for the most part, unless they're horribly run, are profitable businesses. Spin off cash. We are buying services businesses as fast and as as aggressively as we can because it gives us global footprint. So our customers now have a supplier and now vertical that have Latin American, UK, EMEA, North America covered, and we're building on that. The criteria for us is those companies have to have a history of profitability, history of client retention. What's unique in our services business is we're not project based. Every every customer is some kind of longer-term managed service contract in our industry. So, you know, over 75-80% of our revenue is recurring in nature. So that's kind of altogether nice. So those are the criteria elements. One thing I'll add that we do. So I talked about the optimization of the cost base and software, generally on our services, you know, our our software business has, you know, 75, 80% gross margins, like normal software businesses, our services businesses have lower gross margins. So we work tirelessly to optimize those so that ultimately the future for us, 23 and beyond, we can get a better gross margin profile closer to 60%.
0: Social Suite takes the complexity out of environmental, social, and governance, or ESG reporting. Social Suite helps organizations to measure, monitor, and report on their progress to create value through ESG in order to raise capital, improve brand and reputation, as well as mitigate risk. Social Suite's software platform makes ESG reporting fast, simple, and affordable. Companies can start building a baseline report in under 60 minutes and start reporting publicly within 30 days. Start your ESG journey today visit socialsuitehq.com that's social hq.com to learn more you know it's it, this is a it's an interesting uh, uh, the story is kind of interesting right in the sense that you know I can imagine when you guys first became public you know telling this to new investors was like wait okay all right it's consolidation big big data. You know, you've got the software side, you got the services side. I mean, how has the experience been? I usually say this question for the end, but for, you know, I might as well bring it up now. How's the experience been being public company CEO and having to explain this kind of this story to investors right now? I think it was hard early
1: because our challenge is we buy a company that the deal closes on date X. By the time that is, you know, in your financials, it's lagging. So they can't see it. So Q2 came out and it was like, you know, Bing. the numbers were like far, you know, the uh, it was like 900 percent or 800 percent higher than the previous quarter. So investors were like, oh, I get it. Like, I get I get it now. Like, I see how this makes sense. You know, what we're trying to articulate in the financials, too, is there's two reporting segments there's our software reporting segment and our service reporting segment and now the service reporting segment is a much larger business than software but over time software as we acquire more software companies will will moderate and it'll drive um it'll drive the gross margins up and obviously uh, the total group EBITDA margins the financials are what investors understand in our business do they understand predictive and prescriptive analytics and you know some of the advanced tooling we have and the industry-specific thinking? Some do, some don't. Um, I think on the institutional side, they really understand our business. Um, but we're a micro cap, so institutional is not always easy, especially in terrible markets. So retail has really latched on to um, a couple things. One, the Canadian market understands Really strong roll ups, they do a couple, you know, with Constellation as our grand absolutely, yeah. And CTS, you know, is another great success story in -hmm. the market. We are such a a, a different product though, because we're an enterprise sale. Like, you know, we have some contracts that are you know multi million dollars, we have a north of 75 80 million dollar backlog right now in our government business alone. You know, there's real. Meaty, meaty stuff in here. And we're just kind of playing in microcap land until this thing turns. And that's coming soon.
0: Right. So, uh, another question that I have for you as well when, you you know, of all the acquisitions you've done so far, and, and clearly there was a reason that you did each of those deals, otherwise you wouldn't have done them. You know, to date, what's been the thing that investors or even with internally that you've been not necessarily surprised, but the performance has really been uh, higher than expectations and then also vice versa maybe one that's you know still kind of a slower slower climb
1: yeah so we bought a business uh, that's a great question we bought a business in latin america an argentinian based business and it's a great story because i just cold called this this guy and i'm like i'm looking i I don't know why but i was just like i knew latin america was a market we had to be strong in and i cold called him and he was going to be in miami the same week and i'm like come meet me for a coffee and it was a very funny coffee because you know he was nervous with his english and i don't have any spanish capability so it was kind of a fun talk but i got the sense from him immediately their capability set and it was so strong like we were just getting into the tech and the tooling and it was very very impressive this business we bought called core BI has grown itself from nothing you know, I think, uh, you know, last year, six and change, changed 7 million this year, you know, we're going to be 30, 40% growth on that from, it's just exploding in the market. We, we opened an office in Mexico. So that was like a business we bought that we didn't have to do anything. We had great leadership. We don't have to cut checks so that we can spark something in the market. They, they have the market. And we're doing other stuff like Latin America. I think for us, you know, we've got a lot of activity there right now and some new new things. We're going to be a top player, like it's in terms of uh in terms of revenue and market share against the Accentures, the big guys. So that's a really spe- really special deal. Like I think one for my you know one for my notes of you know acquisitions in my past. I've done this in a lot of different industries, and this one is special in terms of you know things that are slower or you know more work i I look at it more like more of the heavy lift you know everything we've done has has been successful in our model so we haven't had a a blow up or a failure what what's been slower on the software side is really getting is really getting the organic engine fired up and we got to remind ourselves we've literally only been doing this from the beginning for two years we just crossed two years, the thing's gonna exit 21 at 40 million USD on a, on a performer run rate. That's unbelievable. So sometimes when we're like, we're not moving, like, we are moving fast. So one thing that you know we are really trying to do for 23 is have our service groups, so take this Latin American success story, really make them inspired and give them the, the incentives to move the software through the through the customer. And that's the organic growth driver. That's the un, that's the value unlock right there. We do that. Our normal 20% growth could be 50, could be a hundred. I don't, it could be, it could be outsized. And the margins on software, 80% gross margins. We get these things doing 30, 40% EBITDA margins. It just hits the bottom line and it's completely
0: transformative. Absolutely. What would you say are some of the tailwinds that are helping you justify some of your reasons why you're seeing some of the growth that you're hoping to see in the company. It's a great question too, because I, and I, I say this a lot and,
1: you know, I don't know if this resonates with um, the investor crowd or not, but like I look at tech in a couple different ways. I think general SaaS products right now are, are, are going to have a lot of headwinds and the headwinds are because they're discretionary. You know, I've got a, my, my SaaS portfolio, I have a, graphic design package, I've got this little tool, I've got this customer list tool, I've got this sales enhancement tool. Those are discretionary. Our product and our service are mission critical. When when we deliver our reveal product um, or privacy product and market, that is fully embedded and integrated into our customer's data estate. It is very, very difficult to just unwind what we do find another product off the shelf and start, rinse, repeat. Fusion, for us, it's it's integrated across uh, all of GM's enterprise. Like it's just difficult. And the investment so far on that product alone, that's like a north of $60 million investment over the last few years. So it's very difficult in our industry to just, you know, rip, strip, you know, move on from, from what we do. Um, and just, that's, that's why I love this business so much. This is very, very mission critical stuff and it's not discretionary. And that's why I think it's uh it's a very durable um, model and why, why I'm going very, very hard into this specific space.
0: For sure. And, you know, you mentioned how your background, not, not totally. I mean, you came in the business uh, or for signifier back in, I think you said 2017, right? Yeah. You know, what, what was your background prior to that? And they gave you the confidence, like, all right, roll the sleeves up. I could take on a roll up, like, let's do this. So I, you know,
1: I'm a founder entrepreneur. I've been in technology my entire career. Um, I started a very successful digital marketing agency in Canada. That was one of the biggest ones, which was bought. Um, by a group called Aegis Media. Aegis Media um, was one of the largest advertising holding companies, mostly on the media side. Um, while at Aegis, um, I got exposed, obviously, and connected into the M&A program. I took over a North American portfolio. We did about 50 transactions during that time frame. I got the bug. I did my own deal. And then we started doing other deals, deal values of five to $500 million. It was a and, and, that bu- and, and what I realized there was it wasn't rocket science to, to from a capital markets perspective to operate that. So then after I left, I started just doing, you know, making investments, working in different, you know, working in different projects, more on the tech kind of startup side. And I was just not satisfied with the model. Like I was just not getting any returns that, I, you know, outsized returns that I wanted to see. And the only returns I've ever made that were meaningful were doing my own thing. And that that's why this this resonated with us. And then it was fortuitous that Signifier kind of fell in our lap like that. But at the same time, it's what sparked the the idea for this. I needed that project. It wasn't I, I wasn't like a lifer in this industry. It was the right time, right place, right moment,
0: right everything to do this absolutely so now getting to another corporate type question your favorite you love the corporate type of question it. no I'm just giving um you know from a from a competitive landscape what does it look like out there you know is it is it specific to each company within the portfolio or do when you think about it in terms is is it more you know one to one with now vertical versus others what what does it look like
1: no it's still it's still very from a day-to-day competitive landscape it's it's very still connected to the portfolios because we haven't done a full brand migration yet and, which is coming so that'll change in 23 but um we from the from the actual business perspective there's lots of competitors right there's you know big companies accenture ibm all these different you know major guys and we're usually a challenger brand um the regional ex- expertise helps us and on the software side we have a unique product and a, that that all our products end up working together really well so we have a comprehensive platform that even some of the biggest companies don't have and capabilities so th- that helps us there on the capital market side we don't really have a micro small cap competitor for f- you know in this space we're it and what we do though is we have aspirational competitors in the capital markets like palantir, Alteryx, c3.ai where we don't see that we're that far off like our program right now we've we've brought together booked you know this 40 million usd pro forma. we have three more acquisitions on uh, route if all goes to plan that's another 30 plus that'll be 70 plus million and our real goal um, this fiscal which will you know hopefully get done or early q1 was to get to 100 million top line and the reason that was so important was this aspirational competitive set c3.ai will do just over a couple hundred million revenue you know like they've been doing this since 2009 we can roll in over 100 with our organic growth rate have a forward revenue number of 120 130 plus new acquisitions we can be there next year and then we're in the, you know, we're in the arena with the, you know, the message that we want. And that's, that's where we want to get to.
0: Absolutely. So, I mean, a it, it, quick follow-up on that. I mean, it, it, in terms of ramping up the speed at which you're doing some of these acquisitions and bringing more companies in the portfolio, is it as fast as you can to get to that hundred million top line or it still has to be the right deal? It has
1: to be, has to be the right deal or, we're, you know, and sure. I've sure. seen, I've seen this all the time. You have a, software company buying a cannabis company you, you know you can do stupid stuff in this model and it doesn't work and it, it, it's like you know hard lessons that i don't know why people don't learn we have to we have to do the right thing you know but i'm just you know telling my team you got to do the right thing and you got to do it fast because you know we're in a race here and because you know we're not going to be the only guys out there that you know have this you know light bulb go off and you know at some point when these other aspirational competitors start hitting a growth wall, they're going to have to think about M&A and then it's just creating more competition for us. So let's move as fast as we can get to real scale and then
0: we'll have a different product in the M&A, in the M&A world. Absolutely. So then, you know, what are some of the sample deal structures? Because I'm sure the folks that, you know, you're looking to acquire, correct me if I'm wrong, understand that, hey, there it might be this this race soon to gobble them up. So what are some of, what does the deal structures kind of look like? And how do you work with, you know, the potential acquisition on like, hey, this is the opportunity with us versus maybe some of the other big players that are now looking at them?
1: So the we have not really encountered a competitive situation for the size of company we were buying yet. I think the current market, is giving us extreme tailwinds right now and giving us an unparalleled opportunity. And I've been talking about this for over a year, which is on the software side, you have companies that have been waving their flag 10, 15 times forward revenue. This is wonderful. You know, the data's out now and these companies are getting two and a half times on software. On the services side, we've always got value in services. Services are not they're, they're not being sold for for um, extreme multiples. They're being sold for four, six times EBITDA multiples year over year, very consistent. Some of the hotter, flashier shops will get a little bit more. But those deals we do all day long. Our tip, but on both sides, our typical deal structure is pretty simple. We give some cash up front on value for the business, three-year earn out for, um, based on their profitability targets, EBITDA um, targets, um, over a three year period. We have a unique model that we've employed that I used to use and I've been using in my whole career now, which is creating a floor. So the floor on the earn out, so call it, let's say 23 calendar year, your targets a million dollars. we have a floor of a million below a million, um, call it a floor of 800 800, below 800,000. We'll keep it. Over eight hundred thousand, you start earning to the cap, and then anything at the cap or above, we start sharing. So that's that's how we do it. So it's a win win. And the idea here is we bring cash back to corporate, reinvest the cash in the next deal. Obviously, that'll happen at scale when there's enough cash generated. And that's that's a very consistent, tried and true model. We just need to keep the the engine going to get to meaningful cash.
0: Absolutely. That actually, it's on my next question, because clearly, you know, you guys are in a hyper growth phase where you're trying to get to, you know, where where you, where you previously just said, get that hundred million top line. How do you balance the growth objectives for now vertical versus the path to profitability, right? Yeah. Uh, lo- love to hear your thoughts there.
1: So it's a, it's a very tough balance because, you know, you want to invest, but at the same time, we're buying operating companies that have history of earnings. we want to leverage those earnings in our company at least now to neutralize any losses. and that's what that's that's project one. So growth of 100 was was the, the goal project wise neutralizing losses is um, on an adjusted EBITDA basis was project one. So Q3, what I've what I've messaged to the market is we'll be pretty close to a neutral adjusted EBITDA um, which is going to be nice first time. You know we've ever been close to that, um, and then Q4 it'll show up. You we'll know, show um, our first positive adjusted EBITDA quarter, and then that's the fuel I think that's going to get this thing, you know, really moving. Because the next set of deals after that, that's all that's doing is just increasing the profitability profile, free cash flow generation next year, reinvest cash, rinse, repeat. That's that's the model.
0: Very good. Another uh, you know devil's advocate uh, type question I got to ask, and I ask everybody on it. You know, in your opinion, what what would you say that are some of the company's downside risks that you know I guess the headwinds in in some cases that could go against now vertical and accomplishing some of your goals? It's
1: a very good question, a very important question. We we have never had our stock appreciate ever since we went public, which is and then you know when we're and, and we're in a comp set. I guess in the Canadian public markets where there's all of these pumpy names that have, you know, all this activity and all this capital going into them and they don't have a business. So it's very frustrating to us. And I'm sure to some of our shareholders as I'm the largest shareholder in the whole company. So, you know, I'm sure if it's frustrating to me, it's frustrating to them, but like, it, it you know, that, that to me, we have to get the stock moving because we, we have traded paper in these deals and these deals have got to, you know, these deals have got to pay off for the sellers and we need to value in the stock. And that's a long game. So, you know, you got to have patience and you got to do what we do and it'll take care of itself. But like, that's one thing we have to get the, the stock to start paying off because then, you know we want to manage dilution. Um, Second, second kind of downside, you know is obviously a macro environment in the capital markets. You know, you just get apathy or they're moving to a different sector. You're sitting there kind of in purgatory on, you know raising capital for deals or for specific purposes, Not a good you know, not a good place to be sometimes. We, we're I think we're lucky because of the deals we're doing. They're profitable, they're accretive. We don't face that, but you know, I don't think we're immune from these things either in the, in the bigger sense. So I look at the kind of stuff we can't control as as the downside. I think the business op- oper- on the operation side, I'm just feeling super strong about what I'm seeing in the, you know, in the business. Like we're not having contracts canceled because there's a looming recession. Like, again, we're mission critical product. So I feel strong that, you know, because if you don't do what our some of our products do, you get fines, you can go to jail in certain jurisdictions. If you're like having your data exposed, you're, you know, improperly using it. There's a lot of risk here that regardless if you're laying people off or not, you still got to pay money for it.
0: Absolutely, you know. I also have to ask. I mean, it's you know, you have you have uh, portfolio companies are based all over the globe, right? Uh, you're based in Florida. Why'd you go public? Why'd you go public on uh, TSX? Well, I'm a Canadian, but just, Canadian, uh, you know, you <laughs> know, TSXV. Sorry, I pop.
1: No, it's uh, we. It is at the time too. Like it, it's a very efficient process in Canada. It's you know a lower cost you know, jurisdiction versus going public in the US. And while you're building in the smaller micro sense, it's a more receptive market than the US markets, um, which I think is important for an early stage. That said, it does, you know, you do reach a limit in Canada versus your investor exposure. So we, you know, you'll see some news from us and in the future of some things we're doing in the US to get better exposure and, and make it easier for US investors to to be part of the story. Um, This is a very US centric story. Like that's, you know, it's, it's the, the company's main kind of heartbeat was US based, you know, in terms of our founding companies, but it's a global company now, Latin America, multiple acquisitions in UK and Europe. Um, So, you know, it's a, it's a global company at this stage. So it's, it's really and a fully distributed company. So whether I'm in Florida or Toronto or wherever,
0: like it's, it's wherever anyone is for sure. All right. So my next question then for you, you know, uh, from what you can tell us, and of course, in your opinion, you know, and you mentioned this already a little bit, but maybe we'll get the full picture is where do you want to see the company in three to five years? What's your vision for it? And then what would you say are the inflection points that'll get you there? So getting to a hundred million was kind of job one. We, you know, it's not even
1: an, if we can get there, we know how to get there. So once we're there, we see a 3 year picture of a half billion dollar revenue business quite comfortably and i think our deal size will go up substantially after the 100 million mark because i think our capital markets exposure will be will, will be better i think it'll be a better story for institutional i think that fuel will allow us to take some some uh, some bigger bites in the in the market with some bigger companies so three years there, five years. Um, I really think this is a multi billion, you know, well over a billion dollar revenue business. And our competitor, our aspirational competitor, Palantir has crossed a billion dollars of revenue, and you know that took fifteen plus years. We think five years we can do this, and at, at that point, it's
0: you know market giving us adequate appreciation. It's a large, it's a large story. So, so, Darren, to close us out here today, you know, as you mentioned, the company hasn't been public for very long. You know, you talked about your experience already being public company CEO, some of the joys and also frustrations right now. Uh, um, how, how, how's been the experience in working with some of your shareholder base as well? You know, have any of your decision, has it affected any of your decision making process or how do you envision that even also moving forward? so i'm pretty active with our shareholder base whether it be large shareholders on a one-to-one
1: basis i'm in discord groups with our shareholders and i moderate the discussion when they're sharing information so it's accurate and it's relevant um i've made it a point in this company because of the way it the 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 structure of our company it's an investor-led company i it's almost just under 50 percent insider held so we're we're in the arena with our shareholders here this is not you know, management versus shareholders. So highly interactive, highly, highly, highly interactive. I, you know, I get direct messages from shareholders asking me very benign questions and I'll answer them. I'm making it a point and maybe it's even a little experiment here, but like I'm making it a point to be very, very communicative and build relationships with any investor that wants to talk to
0: me. Very cool. All right, i think we're pretty much there darren so i mean with that where can our audience go and find more information on now vertical very simple go to nowvertical.com
1: um, or in your you know terminals charting now.v um on the tsxv and you know learn more about the company set up time with management uh, ask questions get in the discord groups what have you
0: i'm i'm, I'm at your service awesome Darren, thank you so much for joining me today, man. Really do appreciate it. Good luck. Stay safe. I look forward to our next update. You too. Cheers. Take care.